seen the world with a five-piece band Looking at the backside of me Singing my songs in one of his now and then But I don't think Hank done them this way no. I don't think Hank done them this way Take it on There's a little Waylon Jennings kicking things off for us on the Lone Star Outdoor Show. Cable Smith here with you today. Thank you, thank you, thank you for being a part of today's presentation. Thanks to uh, Dallas Safari Club, as always, our title sponsor. Also, Lone Star Beer and Hoff Power Polaris. Uh, they help keep us on the air. And here we are, 530 episodes into this thing. Time flies when you're having fun, and the next time that I feel like this is actually work will be the first time, because there's no place I'd rather be than right here, talking hunting, fishing, the great outdoors, and all that implies with you fine folks, so thanks for being here. We've got a good one lined up for you today, and I'm going to tell you all about it right now. So, pull up that stool a little closer to the campfire, pour yourself another cup of coffee out of that beat-up old Stanley thermos that granddad passed down to you. I'm actually going to get a sip myself right here. Black, just the way granddad taught me, which I think he picked up over in Europe during World War II because uh, sugar and cream, that was a luxury they didn't have. So they all learned to just take it black, and uh, there's no other way that I can stand it. So thanks, granddad, for putting all that hair on my chest. Anyway, off the top today, we'll be joined by Mossberg's Linda Powell, longtime friend of the show, someone who I've had the chance to share a hunting camp with over the years and uh very interesting conversation as you know there's this weird dichotomy of if there's a republican in the oval office well gun sales go down for instance obama's the best gun salesman that america's ever had uh, but put a republican in and that trend goes in the opposite direction so we've experienced the trump slump from a firearms standpoint over the last uh, four years. But this pandemic of COVID-19 has seen firearm sales go through the roof. Nothing like we've ever seen in this country. Uh, we're experiencing right now today. And it's a lot of first-time gun owners. Is that good or bad? I don't know. I, I think it's a good thing. I think the more people that own firearms, the better for the health of the Second Amendment, right? Uh, but we will dissect the whole equation with Mossberg's Linda Powell coming up here in just a little bit. Who's buying guns? What are they buying? Are they getting proper training? I mean, gun ranges are closed. All of these questions need to be asked. And uh, Linda will be here to break it down for us. And, and we'll see if she's ever seen anything that even comes close to this um, pandemic gun buying that we're seeing right now. After that, we will head to Colorado where we have the nation's most robust elk herd. Uh, Colorado still has you know, lots of over-the-tag elk hunting opportunity. I've done it myself and um, absolutely love hunting Colorado. However, it appears that the state has plum smoked itself into retardation. And here's why. Because they've issued a gag order on their trained wildlife professionals, biologists and game wardens, not to speak on the proposed wolf reintroduction. Why? Because Colorado Parks and Wildlife is 100% opposed to it publicly. That's what they've stated. They've done the research. It's a bad idea. 
but an anti-hunting, anti-conservation agenda is out there. And the general population of Colorado, think about that. That'd be like you and I are going to determine the fate of the state's wildlife because they will vote on wolf reintroduction. This is unprecedented, people. Absolutely mind-blowing. Why even have a fishing game or parks and wildlife? If you're just going to say, hey, uh, Karen from accounting, why don't you vote on this? Yeah, you, you should have some say. You look like the kind of person that gets outdoors a lot. You know what's going on. No. Give me a freaking break. Um, I, I've studied it some, not near as much as Kafaru's Aaron Snyder. So Aaron, a Colorado native, will be here. Um, he's even been asked to speak on the topic at the Capitol. So Aaron will break that situation down for us because, uh, I, I mean, just thinking about it makes me just so uneasy because of the precedent that is being set here. What are other states? You know, they're going to see that Colorado was able to shoehorn this in uh, with a general populist vote. Well, man, that opens up a can of worms that uh, I find absolutely terrifying from a hunting and conservation standpoint. So uh, that's what's on the docket for today. Going to certainly be an interesting show. Guarantee you that. Let's do a quick giveaway. I've got a, uh, let's do a Vortex giveaway today. I've got a Vortex cap and one of those Vortex Nation Texas shirts that I am the only person who actually has any of them. They sent me like a hundred of these things. Uh, so if you want to uh, throw your hat in the ring, just email the word. Let's do uh, Second Amendment. That's two words. But just email Second Amendment to Lone Star Outdoor Show at gmail.com and you are entered in today's giveaway. Let's take a quick break. When we come back, we'll discuss how a global pandemic has seen American firearm sales go through the roof. Linda Powell of Mossberg Firearms joins us. You're listening to the Lone Star Outdoor Show. Columbia is world-renowned for its beauty and wildlife, and Vancouver Island is revered as a magical place by hunters. Vancouver Island Coastal Bear Adventures specializes in taking mature trophy black bears with 18-inch minimum skulls in the 6.5 to 7.5 year range. They also have Roosevelt elk tags and only take Boone and Crockett bulls each fall. 60% of their guiding area is located on private land. So whether you're looking for a Boone or black bear, once-in-a-lifetime Roosevelt elk, or a giant cougar, They've got the hunt for you. Visit VancouverIslandBearHunt.com to book your hunt today. That's VancouverIslandBearHunt.com. Howdy, folks. I'm Lee Hoffair for Hoffair's Outdoor Superstore in Gulfway, Texas. I hope you're enjoying the Lone Star Outdoor Show. We've been a title sponsor for a number of years now, and we're proud to be a part of it. I'd also like to thank you for making Hoffair's once again the number one Polaris dealer in Texas. In the market for a compact track loader, then check out the Bobcat Advantage, where Bobcat track loaders squared off against other brands in a variety of tests and challenges. Whether you're looking for performance advantages, uptime protection, or quality design, Bobcat compact track loaders are the best built machines in the industry. But don't take our word for it. Watch the videos at BobcatAdvantage.com or see Bobcat machines in person at Bobcat of North Texas in Louisville, Fort Worth, Cedar Hill, Longview, McKinney, Paris, and Sherman. Visit BobcatOfDallas.com today.
night bringing us back. Hello, old man. Name of that one. I'm Cable Smith. I'm Smusher Bean here. You are listening to the Lone Star Outdoor Show, powered by Dallas Safari Club. Also, thanks to Lone Star Beer and Hoff Power Players as well. Uh, it's great to be here talking all things outdoors with you today. We're about to take a look at the status of the firearm industry and how a, a global pandemic has affected it either positively or negatively. And we'll do that with Mossberg's Linda Powell, our old friend. But first, this segment brought to you by the new Lone Star Beer, Rio Jade Mexican-style lager. I tried it for the first time this past week. Absolutely love it. You're going to enjoy it as well. Be on the lookout as it is arriving on shelves as we speak. It's Lone Star Beer's Rio Jade Mexican-style lager. Uh, let's go ahead and bring on our first guest today. Uh, I've honestly lost count of how many times Linda's been on the show. It's a bunch, uh, but it's my pleasure to welcome Mossberg's Linda Powell back to the program. Thanks, Cable. I always look forward to chatting with you as well. So first of all, how in the heck are you? Well, you know, I'm doing pretty well, surviving the pandemic, you know, staying at home. Uh-huh. It's been a little disappointing, obviously, because a lot of spring plans, both you know, personally and work-related had to be canceled, but, uh, you know, staying healthy and just trying to make the best of the situation. Yeah. Well, and, and just looking at our email exchange here from the past six weeks or so, I know, like, right around the time that this pandemic started, you had plans to, like, go to some, like, week-long shooting um, school or, or something. What, what, what was that? I was actually headed to Gunsight in Arizona uh. to the training academy, and I was supposed to be there for three weeks. Oh, I wow. Guess three groups coming in for three different courses and I made it out there for the first week but that was really when things were starting to blow up and I have to be honest about midway through the week I I got a phone call from home and my family was like we really wish you'd come home we just feel like this is going to blow up and you might get stranded out there Mm -hmm. or have to quarantine out there so I actually uh, bailed toward the end of the week I got four days of the class in but the next two weeks were canceled anyway simply because I had people coming in from different parts of the country and, you know, flights were kind of getting crazy then. And everybody had concerns about, you know, leaving home and possibly getting stranded or quarantined somewhere away from their family. Yeah. Well, last week we had on uh, this uh, young lady, Britt Longoria. She's a, a world traveler, big game hunter, and she got stranded in Cameroon for two weeks because she was on a, wow. a, a Lord Derby uh, Eland hunt. And it was a 21-day safari, and they called it 10 days early. So halfway through, they're like, "We got to get out of here." Still took them two weeks. I mean, literally stuck in a hotel room in Cameroon. Um, she said she went outside twice to buy food, and that was it. So wow. didn't know how they were going to get home. Just everything was in limbo. Just can't imagine. <laughs> no, it is, it is hard to imagine. Yeah. Well, and and you know, we've discussed your uh, affinity for for bear hunting um, in detail over the years. You know, the spring bears you know, maybe your favorite thing to do. Are you going to get to go on any bear hunts at all? This well, spring? unfortunately, no. I just had to pull the plug this past week. I was hopeful. I was heading up to my, my favorite camp in northern Alberta. Mm. And, of course, with the Canadian-U.S. border being closed, that uh, that pretty much squashed those plans. I was hoping that maybe that would reopen and we could drive up, uh, you know, from mm-hmm. uh, 
from Edmonton or someplace in the, the northern part of the U.S., but unfortunately had to just rebook for next spring. So have another another year to look forward to it and think about bear hunting. <laughs> mm-hmm. Oh, that's that's unfortunate. I mean, I I have a bear hunt in October that I'm concerned about. It's on Vancouver Island, black bear hunt there. Oh, yeah. And, uh, I mean, who knows if that's going to happen. And that's, you know, what are we at? We're, that's five months away. So, I mean, you'd like to, well, I'd like to believe that things will be somewhat back to normal, but it really is hard to predict right now. Yeah, yeah. Man, well, you know, shifting gears, we have discussed the Trump slump from a firearm sales standpoint. Right. Over the over Trump's, you know, administration. We know Obama sold a lot of guns, um, but it seems like people are more content with the pro-gun president occupying the Oval Office. But that has now become a distant memory due to guns flying off the shelves because of this pandemic. It's it's crazy. You know, we've had a lot of ups and downs in the industry. I've been in the business for, I guess it's my 24th year now. And you see cycles and, and peaks, like you said, during different administrations and that sort of thing. But this ramped up quicker than any other kind of panic buying that I've seen before. You know, it just happened very, very quickly. Uh, we are now working our factory seven days a week. Fortunately, we've been deemed essential businesses, and both our facilities in Connecticut and in Texas are, you know, operating manufacturing. Mm-hmm. And we actually, in fact, I just got an email that uh, just yesterday we hit a record for the most guns we produce, produced in one single day. So wow. I mean, we are we are really putting everything we can into it seven days a week, and we can't keep up with the demand right now. That is incredible. Absolutely incredible. And and great news, too. So. Well, it is. You know, you hate for it to be for the reason it is, the pandemic. Right. You know, but um, as far as from a business perspective, you know, the firearms and ammunition industry really did need a kind of shot in the arm, and that's exactly what we're getting right now. Yeah. Yeah. And it's it's interesting. I mean, the demand is strong for obviously what you'd think defensive shotguns, handguns, and ARs, patrol style rifles. So it's it's really across the board. But hands down, I'm seeing that you know shotguns are are number one for us as far as the the demand. Okay, so like the the shockwave. Shockwave. I will tell you, really, any shotgun. It's interesting when a buyer goes in if there is not a tactical or personal defense shotgun on the shelf, they are actually buying field guns, too. Really? It, it is. It's really interesting to see. I mean, obviously, we've shifted most of our production to personal defense-type guns. Mm-hmm. But, um, you know, we're still building, like, turkey guns because it's turkey season, and, and we're hearing from dealers and, and people there in the, in the storefronts that, again, any shotgun will do. Mm. Okay. Yeah, I've I've uh I've pulled the trigger twice on my nine thirty turkey. I've pulled the trigger twice and killed three turkeys so far this spring. So. <laughs> hey, good for you. <laughs> Social distancing is going well on uh, from that standpoint. Yeah. Uh huh. Um, but yeah, I imagine, and that's a, that's a pistol grip turkey gun. So I imagine yeah. if yeah. someone looking for home defense walked into a store and there's no shockwave or you know tactical shotgun there, they're like, ah, that that looks appealing. So, exactly. Exactly. Yeah. And of course, you know, you can shoot buckshot or you know, or uh, smooth bore slugs out of them. So it's not a 
not a problem to use them for personal defense. It just might not be what your first choice would be. But, uh, mm-hmm. you know, selections are slim. I even went in my own uh, personal gun shop here that I uh, shop at locally, and, and their shelves were pretty bare. Yeah, yeah. I, I haven't gone into a, a gun shop um, since this has all started. I've, I've gone to Academy a couple times to buy corn or tractor supply, but I didn't bother checking on the firearm stuff. I had I did talk to a buddy though, and he said he went to a, a gun shop here in the Dallas Fort Worth area, and they had one Glock for sale. And that was it. Yeah. Everything else was gone. Right. Yeah. I mean, that's just, pretty much what you're hearing. Yeah. Across incredible. The board. Well, so let me ask you this, and I'm sure there's you know some statistics out there, but who are the people that are buying guns? Because folks like myself, I mean, I'm not I'm personally not panic buying because I, I pretty much have everything already, right? Right. So who who's going out there and and you know, leaving these shelves bare. Well, what what we're hearing is there are truly a lot of first-time buyers. I mean, I think there are, there are people that are already consumers that, that own firearms that are out picking up one. But but maybe they didn't have the yeah. you know, the 9mm, or maybe they had a 9mm but no tactical shotgun. Right. Yeah. But, you know, what we're hearing from the, the people working in the stores from our dealers are that a lot of them are first-time. And you can tell that because of the questions they're asking. And they're they're coming in. What I've heard, you know, kind of firsthand stories. A lot of times, people are coming in wanting a handgun, mm-hmm. but not realizing the permitting process that's involved in a lot of states, since you can't just get a handgun and walk out with it. Um, and also, the other problem there is maybe they are wanting a handgun, but then realizing there's a shortage of ammunition too on the handgun side. Mm. So I think that's driving a lot of the sales for long guns because you don't have the same permit process in a lot of states uh, that you do with handguns. So when when a new you know, first-time gun buyer goes in and realizes that maybe they can't go home with a handgun, they're opting for a shotgun or even, you know, patrol-style rifles, ARs, that sort of thing. Mm-hmm. So, um, you know, I'm even hearing stories that basically they'll look and also see what ammo avail- is available and they'll say, okay, what what gun will go with this ammo? Mm, wow. You know, so it's interesting, you know, and it's a very positive thing for us because hopefully we're recruiting a lot of people that will become farm enthusiasts. And once this is over, they'll decide that they want to try sporting clays or going out hunting or competitive shooting yeah. or, you know, become a gun collector. Uh, but, you know, we also have to be concerned that they're getting the education and training that they need and firearm safety because, Obviously, there are a lot of guns going into hands and into homes of new shooters. Yeah, I was going to ask. I mean, probably most ranges are closed too, right? So uh, where are these ranges, people going to? Some ranges are closed. But I will tell you that I've been watching. There's a lot of great resources online. Mm-hmm. Um, you know, I know the, the NSSF has stepped up, the NRA. I've seen a lot of uh, training facilities if their range is closed that are now doing online training. Um, so I think, you know, that's what we need to encourage anyone that maybe is getting a, a gun for the first time, that they do their research and go online and, and look at some of the safety and training videos that are available and from a reliable source. Yeah, yeah. I h- highly recommend uh, they do the same thing, of course, for their own safety and, you know, anyone else's. But um, my, my wife is not a big shooter and she's deathly afraid of handguns, and I've only ever gotten her to shoot one time. And she just has no interest. I'm just, and 
And she's like, well, I want to take a class. I'm like, well, I shoot handguns a lot. I could teach you. She's like, no, 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 no. It has to be from professional. <laughs> and I would agree 100% because that is exactly, I've always been long guns. You know, I'm a mm-hmm. big hunter, shotguns, rifles, extremely comfortable with, not as much on the handgun side. And I've taken, you know, some one-on-one um, training and a couple of, like, two-day classes, but when I was at Gunsight, it was a week-long class, their basic 250 pistol class, an all-ladies class. Mm. And I have to tell you, it was a life-changing experience to go through that class. And it, it's hard to explain it without you, you know, going. But, you know, I've had lots of friends that say, oh, come on, we'll go out to the range and I'll, I'll, I'll work with you. But to actually have some experienced trainers work from, with you from day one through day five, and get that really in-depth, focused training, highly recommend it. Well, I might have to send her with you next year. Cause I, I think you should. Jeez. It's yeah. a great idea. I, you know, I saw, well, there were probably, I think, 14 women, and I saw how each one of us transformed each day, you know, as we got a little more comfortable, a little more confident, uh-huh. and our skill level improved. And um, so, I mean, just that one week really made a big difference. Oh gosh, I I took um, where did I go? I took the kids. It was a couple of weeks ago. Took the kids, and she she had actually she's in the medical field, so still having to go to work, right. the hospital. And so I took the kids to the deer lease, and I told her, look, I left the loaded pistol in your nightstand drawer for you. She's like, get it out, put it back in the gun safe. I don't even want to be around it. I'm like, that's I mean that's how weary or how paranoid she is about them. Right. So I said, all you have to do is aim it and pull the trigger. She's like, nope, I'll go stay at my parents. <laughs> And put it back in the safe. Well, then she's a perfect candidate to go and get some training because, you know, just so she'd be comfortable with it. She may end up deciding she'd rather stick with a pump-action shotgun yeah. for her personal defense. Uh, but, you know, knowing how to safely handle and shoot a handgun is really key if you're going to have them at the house, too. Yeah, no doubt, no doubt. You know, I reading stuff um, on the Internet here over the last few weeks, I have been tickled by all these Californians who are so ticked off that they have to wait 10 days to to yes. get their gun. I'm like, listen, you either you were in favor of this or you voted for someone that implemented that law. So, you know, I really don't have any sympathy for you. So it is it is funny, though, to see all these first-time gun buyers complaining about that. Yeah, I think it's a real eye-opener. They realize it's not as easy as maybe it's been portrayed in the media. Yeah. Um, you know, and you just don't walk in and walk out with a gun, you know. So, mm-hmm. yeah, and, and there are states, like you said, California, they have that 10-day waiting period. I think that really has shocked a lot of people. Well, Linda, let's do this. Let's uh, let's take a quick break, come back, and discuss if there have been other events in your nearly quarter century in the firearms industry that have sparked this, you know, panic buying like we're seeing right now today. Also, the latest and greatest for Mossberg. What's new for 2020? Sound like a plan? Sounds like a plan. Perfect, and that segment was brought to you by Western Rivers and the Fred Eichler Dual Electronic Game Call. Just got this bad boy a couple weeks ago. Took it out for the first time in South Texas last weekend. We called in a coyote on the first set using a, a young jackrabbit sound. Um, it's got two speakers, 120 decibel output. It's backlit, remote, uh, the whole nine yards, and uh, by far the best predator call that I've ever used, and I've run through a lot of them. So check it out. 
It's the Western Rivers Dual Electronic Game Call. You can find it at gsmoutdoors.com. We'll be right back with more from Mossberg's Linda Powell on the Lone Star Outdoors. Whiskey or nothing up in Oklahoma. Beer up here, it just won't do, do, do. Line them up, bartender, it don't have to be your finest. Okay, whiskey treats me better than that old 3 2. I'm Craig Boddington. I'd like to invite you to become a member of Dallas Safari Club, one of the world's leading hunting and conservation organizations. As a member, you'll receive Game Trails magazine, a monthly newsletter, and invitations to our monthly meetings and special activities. Join Dallas Safari Club, an international organization based in Dallas, supporting hunting and conservation worldwide. For more information, call 800-9-GO-HUNT or visit our website at www.biggame.org. Hey guys, Cable here to remind you that if you're looking for a handheld thermal monocular, Pulsar's got two great options, the Helion, uh, which was my favorite for a long time, and then the Axiom as well, which is a little more compact, uh, about the size of your cell phone, fits in your pocket, and at $14.59.99 has the price tag to match, but still got all the great features you love from Pulsar, and get this, when you use my promo code Pulsar underscore PL, you'll get 20% off your order. That's right. 20% off when you check out at PulsarNV.com. Now you sit on a sidewalk at the end of your shift. Cohen makes you tear as you wait for a lift. You were destined to make it. Everyone was so sure Now the prodigal star Don't shine Prodigal anymore. star, the name of that one from our buddy Alex Bellin bringing us back on the Lone Star Outdoor Show. Cable Smith here, riding shotgun with you. Thank you so much for tuning in. I do appreciate it. Uh, we are still visiting with OF Mossberg and Sons Linda Powell. That's right, Mossberg. By the way, still family-owned over 100 years after its inception. Uh, the oldest family-owned American firearm manufacturer still out there. And we're going to take a look at what's new from Mossberg here in 2020. I think the duck hunters will especially be interested in some technology that's coming out. Uh, because if you're like me, you don't like to clean your gun very often. And by that, I mean pretty much never. <laughs> uh, well, Mossberg might just have the system for you. Um, with that being said, this segment of the show brought to you by Dallas Safari Club, the worldwide leader in big game conservation. I'd like to invite you to become a part of this great group of folks who are passionate about hunter's rights, educating the public, and conservation. For more info, check us out at biggame.org. Um, let's go ahead and pick it back up with Linda at this time. Uh, Linda, certainly appreciate you sticking around through the break. Thanks, Cable. So I, I think a lot of this stuff, you know, police forces have come out and said they're not responding to certain type of calls that they typically do. I imagine that's sparked a lot of people, you know, fears to go out and purchase a gun. In your 24 years in the industry, what other events, like, sparked a huge Spike in gun sales. I don't know if 9/11 or um, 
But has there been anything that's uh, – you said nothing's been on this scale, but – Well, ramped up as quickly. I mean, obviously, you know, political <clears throat> environment can have a huge impact. Mm-hmm. And I hate to say it, but, you know, when unfortunately in the past we've, we've had mass shootings, um, at times that's driven some panic selling when, you know, there's talk of maybe banning particular firearms. Um, 9-11, yes, but, again – I can't think of anything that's really driven this kind of panic. Mm-hmm. Um, hmm. And again, I, I think it's just the rapid nature of it. Yeah, yeah. Well, I think the unknown is a big, a big factor there too. Cause sure. Yeah. With you know, uh, presidential elections, it's A or B, right? Right. We don't know what's going on with this thing, and it changes every day. Uh, so it's just, it's, it's definitely an unprecedented time in modern history. What about new things from Mossberg for 2020? Well, it's pretty exciting for us. You know, in January, we, we launched uh, several new platforms, which I was excited about. We we did add to our handgun line. We now have our MC2C, which is a 9mm compact. Comparing it to the MC1 that we launched last year, uh, the big changes um, is it has higher capacity. Hmm. And we were able to do that by going to a metal double-stack magazine. So it has a 13 and a 15-round magazine. But by using the metal, we could make the the profile of the magazine thinner. So we didn't really have to increase the grip size significantly. It's only like a 0.5-inch larger than the MC1. So, again, significantly increasing your capacity without you know, significantly increasing the size of the gun. Yeah. I've shot both. Um, I actually have one of each now. You know, the MC1 for me is a little more comfortable. That's the one I have, yeah. And, and you know, for, for concealed carry. Yeah. But uh, I will say the compact is still concealable. Um, and for me, it's a little more comfortable to, to shoot. Um, a little bit larger grip, also a little bit longer barrel length. Um, it's just probably makes it easier for me to handle the recoil a little bit better too. And this is in nine millimeter still? Nine millimeter as well, right. Has a little bit longer barrel. It's a three point nine inch barrel. Uh but it's only just a few ounces heavier too. I think the M C one's like nineteen ounces and the M C two comes in at like I think I'm talking off the top of my head, but around twenty one ounces. Hmm. So not significantly heavier or larger, but you know, for someone who has bigger hands, it might be a little more comfortable for them as well. But I've shot both of them quite extensively now. As I said, put them through the paces at some classes, and um, really, I really think you can't go wrong with either one. It's just a matter of preference as far as, you know, the, the size and the capacity. Yeah, so the first time I, I shot the uh, MC1 was last spring. took it on a turkey hunt and pulled it out, and my musician buddy, Zane Williams, he goes hunting with me about once a year for, you know, duck hunting or, or uh, turkey hunting and the kind of guy that likes to get out, right. but musicians get all these invites, but it's always on the weekend, right? And so they never get to go because they're working. <laughs> right. And so anyway, um, I took that pistol out and was showing it to him and, and I shot it and, and shot it okay. And then I gave it to him and he's maybe shot a handgun like three times in his life. I mean, just dead nuts every time. Bullseye, bullseye, bullseye. I was like, my God, just put put me to shame. <laughs> But yeah, he he loved it. Um, 
What else is uh that the other exciting thing for me is we now have a new auto loading shotgun platform. Hmm. It's the nine forty. Uh, and we introduced that as well at SHOT Show. Initially, we just have competition models available. We worked with Jerry and Lena Mitchellett uh, and kind of incorporated some of the aftermarket accessories uh, that competitive shooters need. But what's exciting to me is this is a platform that later this year and as we move into next year, we will roll over into our our hunting, our field guns, our personal defense guns. Here's the two things to me that are the most exciting. First of all, it's a new gas system that will allow you to run up to 1,500 rounds in between cleaning. Oh, wow. For comparison, your 930 that you have, we recommend cleaning about every 250 rounds. Yeah. I'm not a big fan of cleaning guns. I hate it. (laughs) (laughs) This, to me, is like a home run. When do I get mine? (laughs) (laughs) Here's the other thing, though. The 930, which I love, and it's a great shooting gun, it's comfortable to shoot, but it's too long for me. Mm. And there is no way to reduce the length of pull on that stock because of the way the gas system designed and there's a return spring in the stock. On the 940, we now have adjustable length of pull. So it can wow. go from a 13 inch to a 14 and a quarter inch. So I, I think this platform, hands down, is just going to be phenomenal. It's exciting that we've got it in the hands of competitive shooters, and they can show you the, the durability they're using it to compete with now. Um, yeah, I've seen Jerry shooting it on his uh, social stuff. Yeah, if you've seen that video, it's incredible. Mm-hmm. Uh, but, you know, for me, again, being that, that hunter, I can't wait till we get it in, you know, waterfowl gun, turkey gun. And um, And so for next season, for, for the this fall? Keep our fingers crossed. You know, this panic right now is slowing new products down a little bit just because we're at capacity. But our our true goal is to hopefully have a new waterfowl gun for this fall. Awesome. Um, So, you know, we'll we'll keep you posted on that. But um, that's our goal. And like I said, as we roll into next year, you know, we'll have turkey guns and um, some tactical personal defense guns. So I'm really excited about the 940. Awesome. Very exciting couple other things to just kind of wrap up here, sure. Linda. I, I was telling you off the air, and I sent you some pictures. I've been getting my son, Henry, he's seven, introduced to shooting a rifle. And this wasn't – this was his idea. Uh, I haven't wanted to push it on him because just because Dad does this for a living. Right. You know, if he wants to go play soccer and he'd rather do that, I'm going to support that, whatever he wants to do. But he loves to go hunting with me, and he finally said this year, Dad, I want to shoot a deer. I – Hid my excitement. I didn't let, let on, you know, how giddy I was. But I said, okay, well, we got to start practicing with the rifle. And so I went into the the uh, safe and grabbed the twenty two two fifties, the lightest caliber that I have. Um, I really didn't want to start them out on an AR, so we're going to go with, the, you know, train them on the bolt action. And right. And he's got this weird thing where he he's right-handed, does everything in the world right-handed, but he wants to shoot. And I noticed this on his BB gun. He wants to shoot it with his right hand but with his left eye and i can see him lining up and he's missing to the left every time and i'm trying to walk him through this but he says he just can't uh close his uh his left eye so i said well, okay I'm, um, assuming, I'm assuming he's left eye dominant yeah that's, that's what, what it, it sounds uh, like i yeah. don't know if you've actually checked that or not but it's a not as uncommon as you think for a lot of people to be cross-eyed dominant 
yeah. and then there's here becomes the struggle. You're you're actually left eye dominant and right handed. I, I am, and and again, I started shooting later in life, so everyone tried to tell me, oh, if you're just starting and you know you're left eye dominant, just shoot left handed, then it's going to be a lot easier for you. Mm-hmm. But my thought at the time, you know. I knew because I worked for a gun company, there's not a lot of options for left-handed guns. So I was like, I didn't want to limit myself to what might be available. Yeah. So I, you know, I tried to work on how I could compensate for that. And with shotgunning, it's pretty easy. I wear glasses and I put a little piece of scotch tape or chapstick right in the center of the glasses to kind of keep my left eye from focusing. That forces your right eye to take over. Hmm. Uh, works great, you know, with shotgunning. Handgunning, I've struggled with that a little bit because of the eye dominance. I found I just have to close my left eye, like you were talking about, um, trying to teach Henry to do. You know, rifles, I assume you're just using sights versus an optic? No, no, no. He's, I, it's got a scope on there. It's got a scope yeah. on Yeah, mm-hmm. Wow, and that's interesting because, you know, the challenge is going to be, and this is kind of what I shared with you, like you said, but while we were talking off air, is I, I really got into struggles with turkey hunting years back because I was not using an optic, and what I found was in the heat of the moment, my I was kind of rolling over and using my left eye, and I went through a season, and I swore I was going to quit turkey hunting because I missed about four or five birds. Hmm. And it was finally when the guy that was with me said, are you left eye dominant? And I, I said, I'm not sure, but I think so. He said, we're going to go back to camp and check. And sure enough, and he said, that's why you're missing, hmm. because you're rolling your head over. So I don't know that I have the answer for you, but, you know, I think a couple of options, either having him learn, you know, try to shoot left-handed uh, or just working to train. And, and maybe I even had a friend who wore an eye patch for a while to keep from using her left eye. That's how dominant her left eye was. She hmm. just couldn't close it. She couldn't figure out a way to do it. Yeah, he just can't close it. He won't close it. And yeah. I don't know. Right now he's shooting with with that twenty two two fifty, which I'm excited because you guys are sending him a seventeen uh, HMR. Yes, we are. Which will have way less recoil. Not that the twenty two two fifty has is terrible, but for a seven year old, I want him to be as comfortable as possible. Sure, that's a big part of it. So we're going to go down to that uh, that seventeen HMR and and I don't. I mean, I think. If I can get him to shoot left-handed, um, I think I may just go that route. But he wants to pull the trigger with his right finger and use his left eye. It's just a to- like I don't even know. And I'm just trying to be encouraging. <laughs> sure. You know, what's the right answer here? I think every, the right answer is you just have to figure it out. Yeah, he'll so. he'll figure out what works for him. But again, you don't want him to get frustrated. Over yeah, it, so. yeah. Well, we're keeping the the sessions to like three, four shots. So yeah, exactly. And exactly. Uh, and what he and and he's putting it on paper. I mean, he's he's hitting yeah. the target. So that that is <laughs> good. He's already figured it out. Yeah. So he's going to be beating me up to let him shoot a hog before we know it. So, um, and then one other cool thing, you guys are sending me a uh, a little bit bigger gun, a three seventy five Ruger. Which, if I get to go Cape Buffalo hunting this summer, that's what I'm going to be taking. And and I know you're a big fan of that caliber as well. I am. I was so excited when we introduced that. Um, I had some experience with it. I'd had some with the 375 H and H and 416 Rim Mag and some others, but I really fell in love with the 375 Ruger. And uh, I, again, I think it's an ideal gun for you to take for Cape Buffalo. 
I, in fact, I took one. You mentioned Vancouver and going bear hunting. I did Vancouver Island bear hunt a few years back, and I actually took that 375 with me because I had later plans to go to Africa, and I thought, what great experience to go mm-hmm. ahead and, and shoot it in the field on the bear and uh, and then be ready to go to Africa, too. So just I, I found it not to be as hard-hitting uh, accuracy-wise. I was really impressed, and I, like you said, I just kind of fell in love with it. Yeah, yeah. Well, I am certainly excited about that, and I'll you know keep you updated on whether Africa is going to happen or not. That's the end of July, so. I hope so. Who knows? Who knows? <laughs> um, that's a, that's another interesting thing. Is from an outfitter standpoint, I think a lot of them on stuff that seasons that are being lost here are just, you know, if you were booked for 2020, you're now going in 2021. If you're in 2021, you're going in 2022. Because I don't, you know, I don't know what else there is to do. No, I, I've had that situation. I've had to rebook several, so. Yeah. I think you're exactly right. Um, you know, it's going to be interesting to see how that impacts the, the wildlife, too. You know, and some people will say, well, it may be great, but, you know, if you're not managing the numbers, yeah. uh, particularly like over in Africa, they have some issues with overpopulation in some areas. So mm-hmm. uh, could be a could be a real issue. Yeah. Well, all we can do is keep plugging away and hope for the best. So That's exactly right. Well, Linda, I certainly appreciate it. Uh, stay safe. And we will talk to you, I'm sure, very soon. Thank you. You as well. And and good luck with Henry. And you guys have have fun out in the field. Yes, ma'am. I'm sure we'll be back out there again this weekend. Uh, Thanks again, Linda. Take care. You too. So there she goes, the ever affable Linda Powell of Mossberg Firearms. One of my favorite folks in the outdoor community. Truly a sweet individual and uh, so knowledgeable on all things firearms. Uh, That segment of the show brought to you by... All seasons, feeders, and blinds. Our family has been spending a lot of time in our all seasons blinds of late. The little chingone, and if you hear the name little, well, you're going to think it's small, right? No. Myself and all three kiddos fit in there, no problem. Even the dog, uh, if she wants to tag along, it's the little chingone. You can find it at allseasonsfeeders.com. Coming up next, the people of Colorado are about to shoot themselves in the foot. We discuss wolf reintroduction with the Faro's Aaron Snyder after the break. One star outdoor show. Ain't no lying, it's mighty, mighty powerful stuff. Sell it by the cake, sell it by the case, make a couple million bucks. Hi, Brett Jepson here with Three Curl Lease Connection. I'd like to invite you to come enjoy some of Texas' best dove hunting just minutes outside of Dallas. We have many private dove leases available for this upcoming season, including milo, wheat, sunflower, and cornfields. Leases come in different sizes and prices, so we can fit anyone's budget. We have the lease that's perfect for you and your group. We don't overcrowd multiple groups into one property, and you'll have the first pick at renewing your lease for years to come. Please visit us at threecurl.com and click on leases for your property listings. That's T-H-R-E-E-C-U-R-L.com. Claws out 
Cable Smith, welcoming everybody back to the Lone Star Outdoor Show. Wolves, the name of that one, from American Aquarium. Uh, fitting, as we're actually about to get into some wolf discussion with our friend Aaron Snyder of Kafaru and uh, the Kafaru Cast podcast. But before we jump into that always controversial topic, this segment of the presentation is proudly brought to you by Rustic Reminders Taxidermy with locations in Marion and San Antonio, Texas. Josh and Becky have been taking care of all of my trophy mounts for going on a decade now. Whether it's something small like a a duck or maybe a trout from the coast to a life-size black bear mount, they do it all and everything in between. You can find them at gr8mounts.com. That's gr8mounts.com. Well, uh, what do y'all say we bring on our next guest? It's been a minute since he's been on the show, but uh, a longtime friend of the program. And joining us now from Kafaru headquarters in Colorado, it is my pleasure to welcome Aaron Snyder back to the show. Thanks. Good to be back on. Yeah, it's been a minute. So uh, how how is Colorado handling this uh, pandemic? Um. It's interesting. I mean, not too bad. Uh, we went back to work. A lot of people did. Obviously, there's stipulations for um, self-distancing, um, yeah. <laughs> but uh, it, it's going, seems to be getting better. Um, only time will tell. It's, uh, I don't think anybody would have guessed that this would, would have happened. So Yeah. yeah. Has it affected your uh, spring hunting at all? Yeah, it is definitely. <laughs> I had uh, two bear hunts in, in Canada that I'm not going on. Um, Water's closed, I my, think, yeah. Yeah, yeah, Colt killed one of my turkey hunts. Um, so yeah, I mean it's it has, but you know whatever it is, what it is. Um, you know, the biggest thing I was worried about is the economy. So mm-hmm. yeah, it's. Uh, I mean, it certainly affected my business. Well, it's hard to call someone and recruit new business in a, in a time of such uncertainty. That's for sure. Um, no doubt about that. Um, did I see you were? social distancing in Texas, chasing hogs with your stick bow recently? I was, yeah. I, uh, my wife and I, with my buddy Scotty and his wife, Di, and his son, Wes, um, it was uh, it was cool. Amy got her first pig, which was cool. We killed some turkeys. Um, yeah, I had a hog charge me. I had to jump over the top of, which that <laughs> thing went kind of viral. But I think I'm still somewhat athletic, and I was able to clear it. Yeah, I saw that uh, on your on your Instagram. And people don't realize those hogs, uh, they are somewhat dangerous. I mean, you can put yourself in positions like hog dogging or, or chasing them with a stick bow, you know, spot and stock, where you increase the, the level of danger. But, hell, I had a lady on a couple of years ago who her son had shot a huge boar, and they went into, like, some briars, some thick stuff to track it, and it ran out and ran right between her legs and sliced the insides of both of both of her thighs to where she I think she had to get over 100 stitches between uh, both lacerations so they can mess you up that looked a little dicey yeah yeah like I said uh you know I I, I shot it from six or seven feet away and I only went to like three eighths draw because I didn't want the arrow to go through and hit the hit the dog uh-huh. uh because we were using hog dog and uh yeah it went straight for me and I kind of glanced left and right in a split second thought man no time and just jumped straight up and brought my knees to my chest as far as I could. You can see that nocturnal goes right under me. You can hear Wes yell, look out, Snyder, because, I mean, it came <laughs> full bore. And the tusks are what I was worried about, hitting my cap. Uh-huh. Um, 
and and obviously blowing out my knees. So I thought, well, worst case scenario, I'll trim the top of its head. It'll just flip me over. Uh, if it catches me and I can handle hitting the ground a lot more than I can a, a tusk, you know, ripping my calf muscle out. Uh, and it, it, it panned out. I cleared it. So <laughs> <laughs> you made it for a good video and story. That's for sure. Yeah. Um, well, so what I, uh, what I really wanted to discuss today, and it appears imminent at this point, uh, I first became aware of the whispers of Colorado wolf introduction, reintroduction, and I think it was December of 2017. And I had the Sierra Club Rocky Mountain Committee Chair Delia Malone on the show to discuss why they were pushing for wolf reintroduction. I'll be honest, I didn't understand the ignorance then. I don't understand it now from a conservation and science standpoint. Wolves are recovered and thriving. I mean, they're probably already in Colorado, but uh, you know, you you would have a lot more insight on the topic than uh, than I do, obviously. So I think you even told me off the air that you've been uh, invited to speak at the Capitol on the topic. So you, you've been doing a lot of research. I have, and uh, I don't know if that will happen or not. We'll see. It's been brought up to me in multiple different conversations to go to multiple different areas and, and talk about this. Um, you know, the, um, the reason... Uh, much like the, the grizzly, uh, the mountain grizzly bear band in, in BC, mm-hmm. there's no, from what I can see, standing, taking a big step back and looking at it from a scientific perspective and, a, a, you know, and, and including biology in this, there is no reason to introduce wolves. And the, the number one thing for me is the unknown. Um, mm. You, you cannot, you can close down Rocky Mountain National Park and you can put an exact monetary loss on it over the course of the last 10 years. You know how much money they're making a day. You can put a monetary gain on it for the hunters that would go in while the park is closed and taking out the elk and, and making money for the state, for wildlife habitat. You know, that money goes back in, uh, you know, to the good fund. Mm-hmm. With wolves, you reintroduce those, you have no idea what the long-term effect is. And people throw in their two cents about, and you know what? There's guys from BHA, high up members. Um, actually, one of them, I had uh, Brian Busey or Bussey. Mm-hmm. I've seen him pro-wolf talking about it helped Yellowstone. Well, if you know the Lolo herd and how much it hurt it and everything else, and you talk to anybody that's been around wolves a lot, not... When I say brown wolves, truly in the field, they are a eating machine. They do not have an off switch. They will eat every ungulate around, and then they move on to something that people don't like to seem to talk about, livestock and cattle. Yeah. They just move right on to that, and when they're done with those, they move on to a different area. And yeah. so they don't have an off button, and that means that you don't have a number where you can figure out the long-term damage. You don't know. And it's easy for somebody to say, I'd like to see a wolf. Hell, I can't argue with that. Seeing a wolf's cool. But at what cost? And we don't have these vast, um, you know, chunks of land like the Northwest Territories or the Yukon or certain parts of BC or, or wherever. I can walk across almost every wilderness in Colorado in a day. So we don't have these vast, massive areas for the animals to run and hide. There's a lot of things we don't have, and not only that, why are we why are we introducing something to a system that's not broken? Broken. Yeah. All of our 
in, in almost every area, not every, but almost every area, Colorado's uh, wildlife is, the population is increasing. Yeah. Why are we going to try and decrease it? Well, and, and I think that you have to bring up, you know, the point that, yes, wolves once were in Colorado. Hell, wolves were in Texas at one point in time, but they've been gone from the landscape for so long that they're no longer a part of it. And like you said, it's not broken. Um, Colorado's elk herd, I, I, you know, imagine is its greatest resource from a wildlife conservation standpoint. And what I'm talking about is obviously license sales that the robust population provides. So how is that financially, you know, how is Colorado Parks and Wildlife uh, going to generate that revenue that's been, that, that will be lost when, when we don't have those tags being sold? Yeah, I don't think they know, uh, you know, and, and it's more, it's several million um, in Colorado. And so and, and I, I think I'm looking through my, my note notes here. Um, and I want to say it was $41 million last year. Wow. Um, and, and so, uh, I mean, that's not chump change, right? I right. mean, how do you rejuvenate that? And I guarantee T uh, you know, the people wanting to reintroduce wolves aren't going to pony up for that bill. And that, you know, they're not going to take some of their weed revenue and dump it into uh, conservation. Yeah, exactly. (laughs) Uh, you know, it's not, you know, that goes into obviously many, many, many different things. And the fact that the state has put a gag order on all wildlife biologists and also, uh, game wardens should tell you there's something wrong. There's something fishy. Yeah. Yeah. And I wanted, that's what I wanted to ask you about is that gag order. I know you've been trying to get folks on, on your podcast um, to discuss it. And I, I, I mean, Colorado parks and wildlife stance from what I've read is that they're opposed to it, right. From a bio biology and, and science standpoint, they're, they've put out there on the record that they're against wolf reintroduction, correct? From what I understand. Yes. Okay. So who issues a gag order? Who tells them that they can't, you know, that the state employees can't discuss it publicly? Man, I, I could probably find out. I'd be sworn to secrecy, but I would assume that came, um, you know, from legislation or the Capitol hmm. all the way down to supervisors uh, because they don't, they won't want sound bites. They don't want, they don't want to get in the middle of it is what they don't want. I would assume. And my, you know, my standpoint, um, you know, looking at multiple different um, avenues of this is if um, it couldn't be handled one by by hunters and a monetary gain made from it, meaning what we lose from Rocky Mountain National Park being closed down, we could gain back in hunting tag sales. Serves the same issue, right? So, so this, or, is, or, so this is the same b- problem. Backing up, sorry, the Rocky Mountain National Park is is this that's the guys that they're using for this reintroduction because when i talked to delia malone it had nothing to do with that she was all she went back to the same yellowstone bs that bussy was probably uh, talking about about how they're great for the environment this that no they're not uh they're indiscriminate killers like you said um and this i guess this national park has an overpopulation of elk is that the deal that is what i'm being told and what i'm reading that is what this is about which is my the way I see it, this is a loophole for them. This is a way to get them. Right. This justifies them reintroducing them. Yeah. Because in 2017, she didn't say a, a word about that that specific park. So it sounds like they've pivoted 
and latched onto this uh, to, to try to shoehorn this in there. Um, so anyway, sorry to interrupt you, but just wanted some some backstory context there. Well, and and, and again, that's just um, that's what I'm reading now. Who who, who knows, right? Mm-hmm. I would imagine, um, you know, this would um, it, it could shift dynamically as time goes on. Um, Ninety-six million two hundred sixty-nine thousand nine hundred twenty-six in two thousand eighteen fiscal year is what was made from hunting tag sales. Sorry, I just pulled that up. Wow. Um, so they're they're where they say it is good for for wildlife. I I believe in their mind if they skew it the way they want to, could be looked good because the way they look at it, as I understand it, is there is plants and things growing back in Yellowstone that weren't growing before, mm-hmm. things like that. Okay, well, what would have happened if they would have just went in and collected, like again, collected money from hunters going in and just shooting the elk? There would have been money made, and the the, the issues with cattle wouldn't be there. They, they totally seem to always leave that out. Ranchers have a huge issue with wolves in that area. The elk populations went way down. Now, you know, I heard, and, and they tried to say this on the podcast, um, Bussy, that it was bears that actually were, were the main issue as they studied it. Well, don't you think that is amazingly coincidental that when they reintroduced wolves, that bears all of a sudden started eating more elk, which is why the population went down when the population was thriving? before the reintroduction of wolves. The low, low herd was an amazing unit to hunt. Mm-hmm. Now it sucks. Um, now they're talking about, hey, the wolves are, the elk are coming back. Yes, eventually they will, but why? For the small, small percentage of a chance of someone to see one? Right. That doesn't make sense to what? me. And again, the wolf's numbers are not down. There's plenty of wolves in North America. We don't need them here. Yeah. Yeah, oh, they're thriving in, you know, the three states that they were originally reintroduced into, Montana, Wyoming, Idaho. Uh, they can't kill them fast enough. Idaho Fish and Game, I've run into them at uh, the Dallas Safari Club convention, and they've told me, um, you know, they can't really talk about it, but, yes, they shoot wolves out of helicopters because uh, they live in the parts of Idaho where it's just not an effective – hunting and trapping them is not effective means of controlling their, their numbers, right? They're They're – they're going through the roof. They're expanding their territory, and uh, people can't kill them fast enough. So, this—it's a myth out there that oh, the wolves are still so um, such a crucial time in their recovery. That's BS. They are recovered. Your state probably already has them in the, in in northern Colorado. It sure seems like it. You know, people say there's sightings, things like that. And again, if they're coming, leave it alone. Right. If they're going to be if they're going to be here eventually, leave it alone. We don't need to reintroduce them. And, you know, there was some chuckle puppet that got on uh, the CBA Facebook page and said, I'd like to have a realistic debate um, about he wanted wolves here. Mm-hmm. So and, and here's where I get irritated. Uh, well, I get irritated a lot, but here's one <laughs> of the main reasons I've been in, as you know, all over Canada, uh, NWT, Yukon, Idaho, Montana, I've been all over. And I have seen what happens um, with wolves. I've seen where I go into wintering, uh, the wintering area where I'll see 16, 18 wolves in a day and see no ungulates. 
Mm-hmm. You know, I, I see these things. And so I bring that up to this guy, you know, and, and I'm like, hey, um, you know, here's here's the deal, man. Like, this is what I've seen. This isn't uh, a guess. This isn't, you know, me um, making up statements from my mom's basement. This is what I've seen. And can you tell me that this is different? Well, he never actually answers my question. He just says, oh, they're good for the wildlife. Okay, have you seen that they're good for the wildlife? Are you repeating something someone else said? Are you guessing? Um, they only shoot, they only eat what they kill. I can tell you that is a fact. Without a doubt, they kill everything and they do not eat all of it. And I had another hunter, an actual hunter, tell me he thought I was wrong. It was because I was in the area watching them. And I'm like, dude, I was a mile and a half away through a 95 millimeter spotter. They didn't come back for four days. Every other animal did. Um, you know, and then obviously the gruesomeness when you see a pack of wolves kill an animal, it's pretty, it's pretty horrific when they're yanking out, um, you know, babies out of moose, uh, things like that. Mm-hmm. Those things, you know, nobody wants to talk about that. It's much, it's no different than bears here in Colorado. They killed spring bear season. They killed baiting. They killed running with hounds. Well, they're still dying. People, we're just paying people to kill them. Makes no but I sense, guess yeah. bliss is ignorance, right? Oh, well, we don't know about that. And I'm not going to bring up any game warden names or federal trappers I know, um, but I do know what it costs to pay those guys to kill bears, but we can't go hunt them, but they're still dying. And I, I guess that's okay. Um, Stupid. I mean, it's, okay a, me. it's a great, it's great to be a government trapper in California right now. It sounds like Colorado too. I mean, you, you got a lot of work with mountain lions and bears and, and now bobcats in California, the, the, uh, endangered california bobcat <laughs> yeah yeah no kidding <laughs> idiots uh i just uh but yeah i i have uh i've done a cougar hunt in um in colorado and i thought found it interesting going there i didn't know that uh it was illegal to to run bears with hounds and you know my my outfitter was like yeah man it's uh you, you really have to be careful and make sure your dogs are, are broke off black bear because uh, you can't you can't do it, which is just crazy. I mean, the thing is, is how do you get it anything reversed is the other problem. And mm-hmm. same thing like with the management of of wolves. They're like, oh, if they're managed, it's okay. How long will it take for a management management program to get implemented? You look at like what you were talking about with with Idaho. They can't kill them fast enough year round season. Um, Killing them with helicopters. Nobody wants to talk about it. But it took so long for a management system to get implemented. It was too far gone. And so the uphill battle of fighting for a, a management system of the wolves, and then actually they're a hard animal to kill. Um, it's kind of, it's, it's kind of, it's, it's futile uh, and it's a joke. And so why bring them in? I, I just, that's the, when you can handle it with hunters, you can make money from the hunters. You can get the same thing accomplished. No cattle will be harmed. There will be no negative side. Uh, when I say cattle, just, you know, also mm-hmm. it's not just, cows but also sheep and other animals um you know and then we're paying you know when there's those issues we're paying game wardens to not look for poachers to not look for people doing hood rat shit they have to go out talk to the rancher assess the situation see what's going on and then the government has to pay the cattle rancher for damages because and, and we're losing more money that way so you know i when i hear people talk about how good of an idea it is especially a hunter I'm like, are you out of your mind? It, it would be like me, you know, talking about brain surgery. Right. You know, just because I know somebody that had it doesn't mean that it's a good idea. Um, 
or, or I know how to do it when I say a good idea, meaning the process. If they're, if they're not living in the wild, if they're, when I say living in the wild, if they're not spending a lot of time on the ground, they shouldn't get to vote. Hell no, they shouldn't be allowed to vote. And it's unprecedented what Colorado is trying to do right now with this vote. Uh, I want to table this, Aaron, take a quick break, come back and get into why this is so fundamentally flawed and the can of worms that it opens up for future problems uh, concerning wildlife management. So are you cool to stick around for a few more minutes? Oh, definitely. No problem. Perfect. And that segment brought to you by Lone Star Ag Credit. Land is the one thing they're not making any more of, friends, but we all want it, whether that's for recreating, running cattle that hopefully the wolves uh, won't end up eating one day, or hunting or fishing, or, or just to get the hell out of the big city. Whatever the case, Lone Star Ag Credit has you covered. They've been doing this for over 100 years, and you can find them at LoneStarAgCredit.com. We continue the wolf conversation after the break on the Lone Star Outdoor Show. But if they ever saw sunrise on mountain morning Watch those cotton candy clouds go by And they know why I live beneath these western skies Hey guys, Cable here for Quiet Cat, the leader in e-bikes made specifically for overlanding, hunting, fishing, and remote access to the great outdoors. Quiet Cat provides outdoor enthusiasts a means of portable, low-impact transportation while providing you with the most reliable product on the market. I own a Quiet Cat and it has surpassed all my expectations. It's an amazing machine that stealthily gets me wherever the hunting or fishing adventure takes me. Based out of Eagle, Colorado, QuietCat is able to put all of their products to the test, making sure your e-bike is built to last. Visit QuietCat.com or call 970-328-2399 for more info. Hey y'all, Chris Letzinger, online sales manager at Cinnamon Creek Ranch here, reminding you we're not your typical archery club. We're a one-of-a-kind archery facility with indoor and outdoor ranges, full pro shop, and six different 3D courses. Cinnamon Creek was designed by hunters for hunters. Located in Roanoke, Texas, we have over 200 3D targets to hone your archery skills. Call 817-439-8998 or visit us at cinnamoncreekranch.com to visit our new online store. That's cinnamoncreekranch.com. Skylines colored by chemical plants to put bread on the table of the working man. Where the working man does his best to provide safety and shelter for kids and a wife. Giving a little of a soul every day, making overtime to keep the wolves away. Cable Smith, welcoming everybody back to the Lone Star Outdoor Show, powered by Dallas Safari Club. Thanks to Lone Star Beer and Hoff Power Polaris as well. Keep the Wolves Away, the name of that one from Uncle Lucius. We are rocking and rolling today, talking possible Colorado wolf reintroduction uh, with Kafaru's Aaron Snyder. And we'll get back into that conversation in just a second. This segment, however, is brought to you by the DS4K Max camera from Stealth Cam. Its groundbreaking 4K video technology is something unique in the trail camera marketplace. You can find it at StealthCam.com. Let's get back into it here with Aaron Snyder. Uh, certainly appreciate you sticking around through the break, brother. Thanks. Yeah, well, and that's the other interesting thing. Uh, I, I believe this is going to be a, a ballot uh, initiative. Like the general populace of Colorado is going to decide whether or not wolves are reintroduced. Is that is that accurate? As I understand it, yeah. And, and you know, Frank was downtown at a like an art festival with his girlfriend, and there were people, no idea, never seen a wolf, never been in the wild, nothing. 
walking up to Frank to try to get him to sign a petition to reintroduce wolves, and they've never been in the wilderness. Wow. I mean, that's absolutely insane. Why do we even pay trained wildlife officials? I mean, do we, we, it's like we don't even need Colorado Parks and Wildlife because um, their stance and, and, and what they've said is just being overlooked. Let's let the average Joe out there, like you said, who's never been around wolves, never been in really in the wild, decide the fate of uh, basically a region's wildlife. It's just mind-blowing. Yeah, it, it is, and I don't know that we're going to – I mean, there's a good chance we're we're going to lose. <laughs> yeah. Well, you know, the other thing is it sets a dangerous precedent, and I don't know how. Clearly, the right channel wasn't followed in this process because the general population shouldn't be voting on, you know, a, a massive reintroduction like this. Uh, that should be left to the professionals. Um, but a precedent for other anti-hunting um, because let's be honest, this is totally anti-hunting. You reintroduce wolves, that's anti-hunting because now you're going to have less tag sales, you're going to have less money for conservation, all the other things we already laid out. But what's next? You know, oh, we we did this in Colorado. Other states see that now. They're like, okay, let's uh, let's have the general population vote on on black bear hunting in Kentucky, right? Yeah, that's crazy. It's that's a, yeah. it's a dang, I mean, I've never heard of something like this. Well, and it, I mean, it, and it seems to be the norm nowadays. It just—it doesn't make a lick of sense at all. Um, and going back to that gag order, that's the thing that it's like really frustrating. Um, and I don't know, it, 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 it all reeks of just foul play, you know? Yeah, I mean, it's very devious. And, and again, when it goes to the general public is, is where it really is irritating because they're not they're not out there, um, you know, and, and they get to vote, which I understand how our system works, but it's really not the best thing for, you know, habitat and the wildlife at all. So, yeah. Well, going back to one other like myth that I think we could dispel here, you, you talked about wolves as indiscriminate killers. Uh, you probably, and I get it a lot too, is, oh no, wolves and predators in general only eat the uh, the sick and the weak and the old and the and the young, right? We hear that over and over again. But the truth is, they'll take down a 350-inch bull uh, just as willingly as they would uh, a newborn calf. Yeah. Well, and there's plenty of videos showing that. <laughs> yeah. That's where I, you know, I get a kick out of it because it's it's not like this hasn't been documented um, many, many, many times over that it's. It you know they do eat the sick and they do eat the weak and they eat the young and they eat the old and they eat everything and they're indiscriminate. Mm -hmm. um, and so when you show someone videos like that, they're like, well, how do you know that bull wasn't sick? And I'm like, well, if he was that sick, why does he have a rack that's 350 inches uh, and running just fine up until he got hamstrung? Right. So, so common sense isn't very common. And you know when you when you know a lot of these people are impervious to common sense and so you really might as well be arguing with a tire because uh, you'll get about just as far with that <laughs> right <laughs> when is this vote supposed to take place and and i i wonder if you have any other recourse because what you said earlier is totally true it took these other states like damn near 20 years to get some semblance of control of their own wolf populations you know it was just deceit and lies by the feds and 
and there's a whole there's a litany of mistrust and I think Colorado is about to repeat that mistake. Yeah, yeah, I mean, it, it, it's yeah, a hundred percent. You know, the the biggest uh, uh, the the uh, it, how would I put this? I see no way for as as as, as negative as this is. I don't see that changing. I see it repeat history repeating itself over and over and over until and wolves don't attack humans very often, but the chance of until someone a very high, very uh, influential and very rich person has a wolf come in and eat their dogs and it gets on channel nine news and maybe then, hmm. but by that time it'll be too late. You know, they're already here for, for the negative things to happen. So it, it is crazy. I guess we'll just have to keep tabs on how this thing plays out, and then hopefully um, at least half of uh, Colorado hasn't smoked itself retarded yet, and we'll make the right decision here. Yeah, yeah, I hope um, I hope so. And I think that um, anyone that can do anything when it comes to the vote, I mean, make your voice be heard wherever you can. Be intelligent about it, though. Like, um, you know, don't get on and just call a guy a dumb something um you know actually try to explain it from from a you know biology standpoint um you get on and make sense of it don't just get on and say kill all the wolves you're a dumb shit. that gets us nowhere you need to make a very well-rounded and presentable stance as a hunter you know if somebody gets on is asking questions the last thing we need is a bunch of rednecks just saying kill them all you're a dumbass that that doesn't help yeah no doubt no doubt about that just uh it lowers us down to their level so uh, definitely keep it uh, keep it friendly and informative, educational, and otherwise you're just flinging mud. It's pointless. Yeah, yeah, this doesn't do any good. So. Um, but you don't know when this vote is supposed to take place. Well, man, it seemed like it changed. I'd have to look it up because I, I have um, inside info where people are keeping me updated. Uh, the last time I thought it was in June, but I, I'm not 100% sure right now because hmm. I know I'm gonna post about it make sure everybody as many people i can get the vote as possibly i can so yeah you hate to, to say this and, and i've never advocate for breaking the law or, or doing anything unethical but the three s's uh there are a lot of people especially ranchers shoot shovel and shut up i mean and it's uh it's no different than the villager uh, you know that owns three cows in, in africa and lions come in and kill him you know what's he going to do he's going to poison the carcass and kill the lions Right, he's got to protect his his interest, his family, um, and and I can't say that I blame him. I'm not saying to go do that. I'm just saying, you know, you certainly understand where they're coming from. Oh yeah, a hundred percent. And I think that may be, you know, when the rubber meets the road is is if that happens, lawsuits. What's going? You know, somebody's dog get eat gets eaten, somebody's horse, some whatever. The problem with that is is it'll be too late. Um, you know, and, and a lot of times there's votes that are made that who is going to admit wrongdoing when it's too late? They're just going to stand their ground and, and keep fighting for what they originally fought for. No one's going to say maybe this was a bad idea. And that that's, you know, my biggest concern is if people do realize this was a bad idea, a bad idea, they're not going to stand up and say, yeah, it was, let's do what's right now. They're just going to keep fighting for that bad idea because admitting guilt is not something that very many Americans do. So 
I'm definitely worried, and, and it's not going to be this year or next year. Well, I'm worried about in five years, you know, if they don't release very many. Yeah, okay, not a big deal initially, but like any other animal, they breed. Uh, the more they breed, the more they kill, and uh, the more they kill, the worse it's going to get, and that's that's everyone. That's ranchers. That's the, mon- you know, each small town where, you know, there's less elk, less hunters come into the town, less mon- monetary, you know, funds are driven to that town you know, big picture wise, it's, it's a big negative. Oh, hell yeah. I mean, I've come to Colorado, uh, hunted elk in your state twice. I think mule deer a couple of times, um, mountain lion, uh, but those elk and mule deer tags, I mean, uh, there's no doubt Colorado sells the most elk licenses in the country. And I imagine a, maybe even the majority of that is from out of state hunters. Oh, a, a lot of it is. I mean, there's Colorado's a place to go. We're very, you know, freewheeling as far as, uh, you know, over-the-counter tags. And um, that is it is going to be a big hit uh, into the economy. Mm-hmm. Well, man, interesting stuff today. Uh, if you want to plug um, your podcast, social, Kafaru, all that good stuff. Yeah, um, Kefaru Cast, so it's K-I-F-A-R-U-C-A-S-T is the podcast. We talk about this subject on multiple different podcasts. Um, uh, Kefaru, K-I-F-A-R-U underscore I-N-T-L is our Instagram page. And then Aaron, A-R-O-N, Snyder, S-N-Y-D-E-R is my uh, Instagram and Facebook and all kinds of different adventures and photos and everything else and different products uh, you can find out on there. And then the podcast, we talk about everything. So, <laughs> Right on, man. Well, I appreciate it. Yeah, yeah, for sure. I appreciate you having me on. Thank you. So there you have it, the completely ass-backward situation currently. I mean, it's like a twilight zone in Colorado, right? Well, why even have Colorado Fish and Game or State Wildlife Agency? What's the point? You're not letting them make the decisions? Uh, and it sets a terrible precedent. That is my biggest concern. I mean, I love going to Colorado to hunt. Uh, if they want to screw their state up, so be it. But what precedent does that set for the rest of the country when uh, folks can just say, "No, I don't. I don't like that. Uh, let's vote on it as a as as citizens." When it comes to hunting and wildlife management, I mean, we can't have that. There's no place for it. Uh, that segment. Of the presentation, by the way, proudly brought to you by Our Luck Outfitters, offering the finest in Newfoundland moose hunting. I went there, see, I hunted with them in October, uh, tail end of the moose rut, and it did not disappoint. Shot a nice bull. And when it comes to table fare, moose has certainly knocked off elk as far as my favorite North American ungulate to eat. So uh, check it out. You can find them at ourluckoutfitters.com for your moose hunting adventure. Uh, unfortunately, just looking at the clock, we got to go, got to get out of here. Thanks to both Aaron Snyder and Linda Powell today. I appreciate their contributions. Thanks to you guys and gals for being here. I also want to say thanks to our sponsors for making this show possible. Until next time, I'm Cable Smith saying y'all have a great week in the outdoors. I don't want to die in the bag of Hank Williams Cadillac. Crucified on a treble clef made of gold Now the music made me quiver I gave it my heart, my soul, and my liver 
Now I'm thinking about turning this rig around and heading home. 